You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Days of inspiration, playing hooky, making something Love out of nothing. Work. The need to express, to communicate, Love to going work. against the grain, going insane, going work. mad. Hi, I'm Andrew Childs, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Rutledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Rent, and with us today is author of that chapter, Jordan Dragutsky. Born and raised in Los Angeles, Jordan grew up surrounded by the entertainment industry and relocated to New York in 2010 after graduating from UC Irvine, BA drama slash minor in queer studies. Jordan has assisted in press offices and production slash merchandising for over 30 Broadway, off-Broadway, dance, and touring productions. He joined the administrative staff at the New York Film Academy in 2012, and from 2015 to 2020, he served as Senior Department Coordinator for the Musical Theater Department. Jordan is a proud member of SAG-AFTRA, with experience working on over 100 TV and film sets. Some credits include The Cobbler, Members Only, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hi, Jordan. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to talk about this is a show that I love a lot. Um, can you just start us off for those who haven't read the book yet? What makes Rent? a key musical. Why are we talking about it today? Um, well, Rent was very much the first of its kind. It created a, an insane media frenzy. It transformed musical theater. It was groundbreaking. And it kind of like gave, you know, in the mid nineties, musical theater was kind of at a little bit of a lull. And when Rent came along, it was all of a sudden, bam, like, oh my gosh, musical theater is here. It's now brought back into the forefront of pop culture. Um, and it and it remained a huge major success story for you know even up until now, but it was on Broadway for over twelve years and broke an intense amount of records um, in doing so. Um, wow! Yeah. <laughs> Do you have thoughts about why, just like based on the content, why were audiences going crazy, needing to get tickets to see this show? Well, at the time that Rent came along in the mid-90s, um, 
<coughs> pardon me, um, Broadway had kind of fallen into a little bit of a boring lull. I, I, I don't want to use the word boring. That's not the best word, but it had fallen into repetition. Disney was popular. We had a lot of reviews. There wasn't much by way of new original content, um, so to speak. Um, stories about real life people. We had Cats. We had Phantom. We had Miss Saigon. Now, these stories some of them live partially in truth and in reality, but not in a way that Rent really did. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it, when it came along, people almost didn't know what to do with it because they're like, oh, this this show, it's using a real band. They're on stage. There's no major set changes. Um, they're talking about real struggles facing people that really currently, uh, still to that time when the show came out, still lived in New York and we're still facing those struggles, even though the show is set, you know, five to six years earlier before its release. Mm -hmm. So it really blasted onto the, onto the scene and everyone was just like, oh, this is, this is the new thing to go see. Um, the advance for the show is unbelievable. It broke a lot of box office records and it was fast track to Broadway, um, fast tracking. We don't see that happen so much, so to speak. I guess the last time it recently that it happened was Hamilton. Uh, right. But Rent opened off Broadway in January. And uh, the, you know, the Broadway season, all shows usually have to open by the end of April to be eligible for Tony contention. And now this show opened off Broadway at the end of January. And it was so successful that they rushed to get it open a couple of days before the Broadway season ended. Um, they rushed to get it open on Broadway. So that was ready to go because they knew they had something. They, mm. they, they knew that there was something there and there was a sense of urgency, especially given the fact that Jonathan Larson, the writer of the show, passed away the night before the show started previews off Broadway. He never got to see it open off Broadway. He never got to see it open on Broadway. He won a lot of awards posthumously because of, uh, of his passing. And I think that actually the de his death is what really sparked the frenzy. All of okay. a sudden this new show was bubbling downtown and then there's a news article that comes out right before the show opens off Broadway saying, oh, my goodness, the writer of this show died before it even started. Mm. And he had been working on it for seven years. <laughs> Do you think that in addition to being sort of this, you know, this oasis for theater goers, this something new, something different, something interesting, did Rent also have a pull for people who weren't going to see the theater who had Absolutely. no interest in phantom. Yeah. 100%. You know, at the time that rent had opened, there was no, the last, I, th I guess you could say the last rock musical on Broadway before rent was probably the who okay. uh, was probably Tommy, excuse me. <laughs> um, and you know, th this came out a couple of years after that and there was nothing else around and it, it spoke to a generation. You know, Jonathan Larson, this was his goal, even though he didn't see it come to fruition, so to speak. This was his goal early on in life. He wanted to transform the American musical and he wanted to write a new American musical for the MTV generation mm. specifically. And, you know, if you think about it, he graduated from college, I think, in 1984. That's the height of MTV's new popularity and music videos. And so he knew early on he wanted to write something that would strike a nerve with the people that were watching MTV with mm -hmm. that generation. And he wanted to bring them into the theater and make them sit down and hear a story about real people. 
mm. that hadn't been done in a while or ever really. <laughs> so it, we can definitely, the statistics are there. The facts are there. It appealed to the generation he was going after. And I think something that's a little bit tricky with rent is um, I don't want to say we've seen it like decline or like beaten to death, but I feel like it has sort of done this incessant loop of non-equity tours. And we've seen the live show on NBC to mixed results, you know, Um, a lot of recent rent incarnations have opened to very mixed results. And I think that has to do with the fact that it was tied so inherently to the MTV generation. Mm -hmm. And now that that has shifted that rent now, you know, maybe starting in 2000, you know, around when it closed off on Broadway, Mm -hmm. we, we were already seeing the decline of the MTV generation and, or the shifting of it. Do you think now, now, now the show sometimes is thought of as almost dated. And but, when it first came yeah. out, we were like, oh, no, this is never going to feel dated, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's starting to veer into that. And I think it does have to do with the changing of pop culture specifically. Do you think is there a future for Rent as a period piece or is there a reinvention for Rent that you could predict in the future? Absolutely. You know, uh, Jonathan Larson was, in a sense, a a protege of Stephen Sondheim's. Mm -hmm. And I think that 150%, he would be behind the idea of reinvention and new interpretations, similar to how Sondheim, up until his death, encouraged that of his works. And so I do think there is room for that. Um, And I hope that in the future, we're going to see other more new productions of Ren and see it done different ways. The thing is with the uh, recent incarnations, the recent off-Broadway run, the national tour that's out right now, um, the, fi- the live film version, they're still, tr- I, f- I found them still trying to hold on to the original aesthetic and vibe of Rent. Mm-hmm. Even the tour that's out right now, if you look at photos of it, it is Rent as you saw Rent in 1996. Okay. <laughs> it is still the same logo. Oh, same set, possibly the same direction. I'm not sure if Michael Greif is still coming in or not, but it is still in a sense, the same show. And I think they're falling under the mindset of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But also let's show people how transformative and amazing this show was. It's kind of like saying, let's go see the Lion King right now and see if it still strikes the same nerve. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think, do you think that Lion King is a show that has, dated and aged in a similar way? I think if, you know, I actually only recently saw it for the first time about three or four years ago. And I said okay. to myself, while I was in the theater, I was like, if I saw this in nine, you know, when it came out in the late nineties, it probably would have hit me a lot more. Okay. It, it would have wowed a little bit more. I could see how back then it was so transformative. Mm. Do you think because the impact of that show because other shows have done similar things since then. Does that have anything to do with that sort of losing its impact? It's wow. I'm not sure. Okay. It's the best answer I can give for that. Um, I, I think at this point it has more to do with the cultural shift and how we look at things hmm. um, than the show not changing. Okay. 
I think it more has to do with how people are raised looking at their cell phone screens now. They're not raised watching music videos on TV anymore. Mm. You know, we're staring at screens nowadays and we're not looking and encountering with people this, in the same way that we used to. Um, I think that really has to do with the cultural shift and why Rent eventually closed on Broadway and why the off-Broadway run ran for around a year and then closed. Um, mm -hmm. And they are now calling this current Rent tour, which is the 25th anniversary Rent tour, they're calling this the, the farewell season. Okay. This current tour right now is slated to end. It's not slated to continue. Which perhaps that just means, you know, we need to put this button on it for someone to come in and do a redesign, do a restaging, Absolutely. do a reimagining. Mm -hmm. And there have been attempts. And I, I think that we are, Rent isn't going anywhere. There's no way. It is okay. such a strong piece of material that I do believe, just like we saw the color purple come back, it came back roaring. And it, and right. the color purple originally wasn't a huge blockbuster success. But then when that revival came in, it came back with a mighty, mighty, mighty roar. And I do think that Rent will eventually see that happen. Okay. Do you think there are shows that have come since Rent that have sort of replicated its success that have sort of appealed to a certain demographic of young people have absolutely reached out beyond regular theater goers. What oh comes to mind for you there? Um, well, I mean, Rent, Rent set the stage for the modern American rock musical. Hair kind of laid the groundwork. Mm -hmm. But if you think about Hair, it didn't have as strong of a plot. It, it, it was loosely tied together. It was a hippie presentation, had some great music, but it didn't have a very strong story. Rent has a very, very strong story. Um, and I lost myself there. And <laughs> mm -hmm. wait, re-ask the question again, if you don't mind. What since Rent has sort of yes. had this same? <laughs> so um, Rent laid the groundwork and all of a sudden we started to see a flurry of new rock musicals coming in. In 1998, we had Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which played off-Broadway downtown for a couple of years. And that didn't even, and it was a huge smash success and it didn't even leap to Broadway. It leapt from off-Broadway to movie. And the movie ended up developing a cult following similar to the way that Rent's original run developed a cult following. Mm -hmm. You know, Rent is a cult musical. It fits perfectly in that category of a niche musical about a story and it develops and it developed a strong following. People, are go people ran in droves to see Rent and it was everyone. It wasn't just the high society of New York. It was everyone. Now, other musicals that came out of that, you know, we have, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Then we see other shows that were directed by Michael Greif, including Next to Normal. Next to Normal was the next musical to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama after Rent, actually. And it didn't even come until, was it 10 or 11 years later? Something wow. like that. Um, so we have Next to Normal. We have uh, modern jukebox musicals using catalogs from other artists. That includes American Idiot and Jagged Little Pill. Those shows also... Um, tackled modern American issues and tried to tell stories about real people. Um, and then if we're thinking a flashback, we have a new modern telling of Spring's Awakening. Spring Awakening, the musical, came out in 2007 or nine, and it was by Duncan Sheik, who was also very popular in the 90s, uh, you know, indie music scene. And that musical was about um, 
it was a update of, I think it's also featured in 50, K, uh, 50 key musicals. Um, it was an update of a 1893 story play about kids going through their sexual awakening. And this is a play from the 1890s that had to do with sexual awakening, suicide, abortion, death. And if Rent wasn't around, I don't think we would have seen any of these shows. Mm. I don't think these writers would have thought that it was okay to, to tell these stories on the stage. And Rent really said, yeah, no, we could tell any story we want. It could have sub adult subject material. We can tackle death. People die. It, you know, that's part of life. The whole point of all of these shows is they're telling real stories about real people. Mm. Um, so it's not just the rock transformation, but it's also the ability to tell these stories. So nowadays, any musical that falls into R&B, rock, um, um, gospel, they almost all draw influence from Rent, even Hamilton, mm. especially Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your connection beyond you wrote a chapter for this book to the musical <laughs> Rent? Um, okay, so dating back, I actually texted my sister before we started today. I was like, okay, what year was it? And she said, I first took you to see Rent in 1998 or 1999. And the way she was able to source that information is because she knows that she was the one who was driving. Okay. So I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, so Rent opened on Broadway in spring of 1996. And by fall, they already had, um, they already had tours starting. And most, and most of the rent tours really started with sit down productions in cities like Chicago and LA. And they'd stay there for a couple months and then go out on tour. And we see that a lot nowadays, actually, especially with Hamilton, Wicked. Um, they'll sit in these major cities for months at a time and then launch out on the road. So she, it, she had seen it once with Neil Patrick Harris at the Amundsen Theater in the LA premiere of the show. It, oh, which wow. was, yeah, that was 1997. And then um, Rent actually started having multiple tours. I don't know if you remember that, but when Rent first launched, they launched one tour and then they were like, no, this show is so successful. We need another tour. Nowadays, we have several Broadway shows that have multiple national tours going. And Rent maybe was one of the first shows to do that. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I know Cats eventually, I think, had more than one tour going at a time. But Rent had two national tours going called the Angel and the Benny Tour named after characters oh. in the show. Those oh. were the first two tour names. Um, I know at one point there later, there was, the, I think, a Mimi tour. Um, okay. And uh, my sister took me to see the show. You know, I grew up with a sister who was five to six years older than me. And so when Rent came on the scene, it was incre incredibly popular with middle and high school students. They could relate to it. They were watching MTV at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so she took me to see it for the first time. It was at the Schubert Theater. Um, it was the other national tour. It was the second one. Uh, the Schubert Theater no longer exists in Los Angeles. It was a theater that was built into an office building in the 70s. It opened with Follies and it closed like, 15 years ago. Rent was one of the last shows to play there, actually. I think, oh, wow. I think the Kiss Me Kate revival was the last show to play at that theater. And mm -hmm. she took me to see it there and I was immediately like, what is this? <laughs> and mind you, I have already, at this point, I had already heard the score. Uh -huh. I, had a, I had a 15, 16 year old sister. This, that CD was on repeat in that mm -hmm. house. Oh my goodness. So I was already familiar with the story and then I'm, like, not, I'm not even in puberty yet and I'm watching these people on stage. I'm like, oh, okay. 
Um, and that sparked it for me from that, from then on, I maybe turned into more of a rent head than my sister. Um, oh, wow. the, the national tours, um, you know, we live in Los Angeles and the national tour, if it's a popular show, it was stopping in the Los Angeles area once, if not twice a year. Wow. That, you know, for any national tour, so to speak. So from, I would say, you know, the first time I saw the show was 1998 between 1998. And when I moved to New York in 2010, I saw rent. I couldn't tell you how many times, definitely more than 10 or 15 times. And I saw it at a total of seven or eight touring venues in the Los Angeles and Orange County area. Because anytime rent came through, it had to stop at these theaters. It had to stop at at least one of the theaters, if not two of them. It would go from one to the other. And in Los Angeles, in the metro area, you're only an hour, hour and a half between these venues. So I would get in my car and I would go rush rent. I would get a rush ticket and I would wait out inside, wait in line for a rush ticket with friends and go see the show. And we were sitting in the front row and I saw it nearly every, at every venue it came to in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you think, so, did it play better in different venues than others? Here's the thing with Rent. You have a rock musical. There's no, with the band on stage, mm-hmm. you have a stationary set. There's only a couple things that are flown in. Um, and there's no major set changes throughout the show. And you have a set cast of what, 12 to 15 people, if that. And so Rent is, if you think about it, it's a cheap show to produce. That tour, you know, they didn't need a huge influx of money. They're not putting in a turntable on the stage. Right. They're not flying a lot of things in. So any theater that could get the show was like, yeah, because, it, you know, it was easy. It was easy to take it around the country and around the world. Mm-hmm. It, and it was and that played into its accessibility. Mm hmm. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you think we sort of talked about the parts of rent that maybe might feel like a period piece today. Are there moments in Rent that you think audiences forever will be able to latch on to and love? Absolutely. From start to finish, there's there's a moment every few minutes in the show, actually. The, you know, Rent starts um, with a monologue. And, you know, we have a rock, it's a rock opera. So almost the entire show is sung through. There's very few parts of it that are actually scenes with no song. And it starts with the cast just walking on stage, saying who we are and what story we're about to tell. Then the power goes out and the show start and the first song, which is titled Rent, starts with a roar. That downbeat hits and immediately your leg starts to, to, 
shake with the beat of the show. And it kept that pulse going throughout the entire show. I'm always, I, you know, whenever I used to teach musical theater history, I, I say to us, I used to say to students, for a show to really be successful, it needs to have an X factor. That X factor can be any number of things. Rent had an intense amount of X factors. Okay. It crossed, you know, we have the way the show starts, the way the show tells its story, the blending of genres. At the end of act one, the, the climax of the end of act one is this giant patter song where people are giving props to their generation. And all of a sudden we're hearing people talk about dildos on stage in the same song that they're talking about Kurosawa. You know, it, 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 right. it almost encouraged the sexual awakening. And then the act one ends and act two starts with the show's most famous song, which is Seasons of Love. Mm. And it's a gospel song. So we are jumping around and we're leaping from X Factor to X Factor. <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> Do you think if there are listeners out there who maybe are not so familiar with Rent, how would you recommend getting into this show, familiarizing yourself? I would listen to the score right away. The original Broadway company. Okay. I wouldn't listen to the movie. I mean, hey, I don't want to knock any other recordings there are out there. There's a Japanese recording. I've heard oh. Seasons of Love performed in Japanese and it sounds wonderful. It's great. But that original recording captured it. It won the Grammy. Mm -hmm. um, it made stars of everyone singing on it. Um, it, it was you. Uh, did you ever own that disc, that two disc oh. set? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Of course I, I did. I remember meeting Gwen Stewart, the original soloist. And I asked her to sign the CD for me. And I wow. still have that CD. Um, wow. so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, I would start there. Now, I, I, I've said before that I think it was a ch the changing landscape made the show somewhat, in a way, fall out of shape. You know, the show tackles and it, it, it tackles the HIV AIDS pandemic. And, you know, we're looking at a group of people in the early 90s. By the time we got into the mid 2000s and PrEP became available, um, the concern of serious illness and death associated with AIDS and HIV has kind of, dis not dissipated, I would say, but kind of, um, well, I guess dissipated a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the concern of that isn't the same as what it was. And I do think that the changing of history also contributed to the show at this point, possibly feeling a little dated or at least the original production, so to speak. Okay. So that's why I would encourage anyone who wants to really dive into it. I would watch footage of the original production. Okay. And listen to that original production. Those mm -hmm. it's not overproduced. Those vocal pyrotechnics. You have Anthony Rapp, you have Adam Pascal, you have Adina Menzel, you have Tay Diggs all these people who were all unknowns at the time in which the show came out. The only person in the cast who had really worked a lot was Anthony Rapp. He had been in a bunch of movies. Wow. From when he was a kid. <laughs> oh, right. But yeah, from when he was, he was in the, he was in the babysitters club. Isn't that what it was called? Or adventures in babysitting. Oh yeah. 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 As yeah, a yeah, little yeah. teenager. That's right. So, um, Everyone else was unknown. It threw them into the limelight. These people were doing photo spreads. They were doing major magazine published publications while they were still off Broadway before the show even opened on Broadway. Mm. 
we're falling down some rabbit holes here. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you have a this is a tough one. Do you have a favorite song in Rent? That answer would change over time for me. Okay. For sure. First Instinct is what you own. Oh wow, okay. The way that that song is written and the sharpness of the harmonies gets me every time. And I think that's a song that is transcendent. If you were to listen to that song right now, it is just as relevant as when it was written. Okay. If you think about it. But, it, you know, other songs, La Vie Bohème, that song, is it's an eight-minute patter song that, you know, if you think about it, it has ties to, like, Gilbert and Sullivan mm-hmm. and Into the Woods. But they're talking, about, they're giving, you know, it, that song, you know, for anyone who doesn't know the show, La Vie Bohème is this whole sequence at the end of act one, where the entire ensemble has just left one of the lead's performances, and they're now in the Life Cafe, which used, which no longer exists, but it used to be a respite for art artists and bohemians in the in Alphabet City, um, in the East Side, in the um, East Village. And that whole sequence is a celebration a counterculture and the things that teach us and transform us and make us think. And it specifically wanted to capture currently what was going on. Think about all the things that are mentioned in that song. Mm-hmm. So that whole sequence and storytelling in it is wonderful because you have this huge celebration and it's eight minutes long and a lot of story happens in this sequence, even though it's a celebration of pop culture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and counterculture just as much. Um, so that whole sequence really wows me. And that mm-hmm. has always, for, you know, you, the show starts with a downbeat and boom, 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 you're into the show. And that goes straight on until the last time the entire ensemble goes, viva la vie bohème, to the bohemian life. Mm. And, and then intermission and then intermission and all of, and all of the action that happens in that first act, it's all in one night. Mm. Act two is the next day or a couple, uh, a week later moving into that new year and takes place over the course of a new year. How do you measure the life and love? We, you know, we, if you think about it, act one, there's an intense amount of exposition. Mm-hmm. And then in act two, we see a lot of movement from that based on the relationships that are established in that one fateful night, Christmas Eve. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Would you, because there are so many filmed versions of the show. Would you have one that you would recommend if someone's saying, you know, I want to see it like whether it's the nbc one or a filmed concert version or the movie i would strongly uh, so shortly before rent closed on broadway they filmed it and they and they streamed it or not it was before streaming yeah whatever they did at that but before rent closed on broadway they did record it and they um i guess we could say streamed it but it wasn't a live telecast but it was uh, released in movie theaters for a couple days and that was mm-hmm. the original production with basically the closing cast, several of whom those cast members we now see on Broadway, right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually start there because that, if it's available somewhere, I would start with there because that is the original production. Okay. That is a film version of the original production. Now, the thing with the movie, 
I don't know how much you want me to dive into things like that, but you can go into the movie. Let's the talk thing about with the movie. the movie. You know, they did a movie in the early 2000s. I was actually, I was such a rent head that I got one of my childhood friends into it. Her mother was a publicist or she still is. And she actually took us to the set. I oh, was wow. on, I was on, we, we were, it was, they filmed it. They didn't film it in New York. Mm-hmm. They filmed it in San Francisco. They filmed it in LA. And another day, which is one of the really strong songs in act one, uh, one of the prolific songs in act one. Um, I watched them film the final shot of that scene. And the thing is that movie was shot in sound stages and on backlots. And it was directed by Chris Columbus who directed the first two Harry Potter movies. He also directed um, Home Alone. I think he did the first two Home Alones. And uh-huh. I think he also did Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. So you have a show about that's supposed to be nitty and gritty and cult, but you give it to a director that does kids family friendly movies. Mm. I don't know. Home Alone gets pretty nitty and gritty. Oh, yeah, 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 right. Time you um, saw it is, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, Mrs. Doubtfire, even worse. What does yeah. that man do? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, <laughs> but you know, they went Hollywood with it. They hired mm. most of the original company. And at that point, they were all in their mid-30s. Right. And they were all reprising their roles that they had created about 10 years earlier. It was 10 years earlier. They were making the movie in 2005. And it came out, I think, fall 2005 or fall 2006. Okay. And you have these people who are in their mid-30s, some of them pushing 40, playing people that are supposed to be in the range of 19 to 24 mm-hmm. somewhere in there and in addition to that you have a director who's used to making big budget family-friendly movies so in a way the raw edge was lost or it wasn't captured on screen okay and i actually feel the same about the um was it nbc live or fox live the rent live that came yeah. out like two or three years ago i felt the same way about it i actually couldn't finish it I think you're right. It might have been Fox, actually. I, I, was Fox. Calling it. I just universally call them all NBC Live because whatever. <laughs> um, so I, it just didn't yeah. land. No. Yeah. And at that point, you're having people, you know, the, the Rent Live that was on Fox, you're having people perform the show that weren't necessarily even alive when it first came out. Mm-hmm. So the question comes in, how much back, sto- how much uh, research went into this mm-hmm. to capture, you know, to me, it felt like a cheesy grease version of yeah. Rent. Cheesy and, is a great word for that. And, and yeah. Rent, cheesy is not a word that you necessarily want to associate with Rent. No. Rent is cult, it is camp, and it is trash. Mm. Now, sometimes that might involve cheesy but it doesn't involve Music Man cheese. It doesn't involve any Get Your Gun cheese. It doesn't involve Irving Berlin cheese. Um, so, you know, it didn't, the only version that I personally have seen before that really stuck with camp, cult, and trash, it was the original production. Okay. It do stuck you, with that nitty gritty. <laughs> do you think, because so much of the staging of Rent is so non-literal is so you know needs to be done on the stage do you think rent had at one point the potential to be adapted to film or to be adapted to like a live tv musical and we We just had missteps 
we are in 2022 right now. And Lin-Manuel Miranda has just created a movie musical version of Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a Jonathan Larson musical. It's autobiographical and it's about, and it's a show that Jonathan Larson wrote about himself. And he was trying to get it workshopped and produced um, up until he started working on Rent. And it's about himself. And if Lynn was able to take that, to take that material and flesh it out, you know, Tick, Tick, Boom was a three-person show when it first came out on Off-Broadway. And when Jonathan was writing it, it was a one-person rock monologue. So if Lynn was able to take that show and flesh out the story and do original things with it and have the success that that movie has now had, you know, we have the Oscars coming up this weekend. Tick, Tick, Boom is nominated for multiple Oscar awards. A Jonathan Larson musical that he never saw come to life is now an Oscar nominee. And it's because someone had original ideas in terms of how to tell that story and flesh the story out. And I and it's, watching that movie really makes me have faith that there is a life out, uh, a, a life beyond for rent. There, there is potential there, especially for a show that has so much juice in it mm. and so much meat. There is a wonderful potential there. It's just figuring out how to navigate the fact that the story is set in a specific time. It's figuring out how to navigate and make it reach a new audience. And I think that that is what Lynn was able to do with Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm. So I look forward to new ideas with Rent because it's possible. It, it, the, and the possibilities are endless because of the content. The show itself, you know, it, it, it doesn't need a moving set. You can change things around. The cast can fluctuate in terms of size. You can strip it down even further, or you can add more to it. The possibilities are endless with a show like that. Again, harkening back to the Color Purple revival. Mm -hmm. They stripped that away and decided to let the music and the voices tell the story. And it landed. More so than the original production. Right. Right. <laughs> Same thing with Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch when it finally came to Broadway. Wow. Whoa. One Tony's. It was mm -hmm. a new way to tell that story. And they did so. And it, it did take a little bit of updating. And mm -hmm. I think there's room for some updates with Rent, but it is a story set in a specific time. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, we had the AIDS pan. We're still dealing with the AIDS pandemic. It has not gone anywhere. You know, we have medication nowadays that literally could cure the world of this virus and it hasn't been done. And then now we're dealing with the COVID-19. You know, it, health, healthcare and access, you know, it's, it's still a universal subject. Mm -hmm. Rent, you know, the producers, once they moved Rent to Broadway, they decided, they figured, they realized, oh no, we have a show about Bohemians and people living in the East Village and dying. And, you know, it's a show about people who don't have much money. And so they had to figure out a way to make the show more accessible. And I, I wanted to touch base on the idea of the rush policy. Um, mm. You know, we now see that with every Broadway show, every Broadway show that comes out, even the tours, they have some manner of a rush policy. And I don't think we would see that as much today as we do if rent didn't really start that. And that also contributed to the rent frenzy. People would wait in line around the block and they eventually, you know, after the, you know, the producers decided in the transfer up to Broadway, they're like, we need to make this show more accessible. So they, one of the producers was like, we, let's do a general rush. We'll sell the first two rows of the theater at $20 a ticket 
I think two hours before the curtain and we'll sell them to anyone who's waiting in line. That created a massive frenzy in terms of people outside the theater. There was always a line of people outside the theater. If people are walking by on the street and they see that, they're going to go, oh, well, something's going on there. Maybe I should check it out. Um, it also helped build uh, momentum inside the theater. If you have the most rowdy fans sitting in the front two rows mm -hmm. and the people sitting behind them, they're going to be like, oh, okay, these people are super into it. Yeah. And, you know, eventually, actually, because of where the theater is near Port Authority, safety became a concern. People were camping out overnight, waiting in line for these rush tickets. They actually had to switch over to a lottery eventually to make it safer. And that still helped keep the frenzy going because there was a huge crowd outside the theater uh, two hours before the show started. We're mm -hmm. not, people aren't even, the cast isn't even there yet. And right. now we're seeing that to this day with shows like Hamilton and Book of Mormon, um, making theater accessible for a new audience, for people who wouldn't be able to afford the price of a normal ticket. And I really want to touch base on that because Rent transformed that. And they did it on tour too. I rarely paid the normal price of a ticket to see Rent when I was a teenager. Wow. I would get up on the weekends, drive to the theater with friends, and we would sit there with some food and a chair until we could get ourselves a ticket. Wow. And yeah. it's huge that, you know, we have to highlight the fact that these were the front rows. These were the good seats. These weren't standing in the back, which even though it's become standard practice to do a lottery, to do a rush, that is still not standard practice, you know? Correct. Yes. Nowadays, some rushes are partial view off to the sides. I saw six a couple of weeks ago. I won, the, I won the six lottery front row seats. Wow sitting dead center in the front. Yeah, so it's still happening a lot today and it's it, it, it's great. Hamilton does, they bring in school kids. Their lottery tickets are only $10 each hmm. and they're still doing it online. That was the first way I saw Hamilton actually. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, so if you well, want to go get a rush ticket, thank Rent. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was fabulous. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I love falling down the rabbit holes of Rent. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting Routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Rent, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals. Making something out of nothing, the need to express, to communicate, to going against the grain, going insane, going Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.